Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Betting Above the Rim podcast. This is Coach Young. Today's date is January 8th, episode 18 of our podcast. We're getting to five topics today. Number one, we look back at the Knicks-Raptors trade, both angles. First off, we'll talk about the New York Knicks, 4 and since OG Ananobi uh, has gone to New York. We'll take a look at how this team's playing differently, how it should affect the market. Secondly, we'll look at the flip side, Toronto. Now, now that they've gotten some of these new parts, What's next? And that could be a trade of Pascal Siakam. I'll give you two places in the Western Conference I think will be good fits for Siakam. Third, we'll stay in the metropolitan area with the Brooklyn Nets, who have started to come back down to earth, especially after their loss last night to Portland. What's a concern in Brooklyn, and where should they pivot next? Fourth, we'll go down south to the Atlanta Hawks. Incredibly disappointing team. I think Landry Field's got to blow it up. Who stays and who should go? for the Atlanta Hawks, and last but not least, we'll go to the college game, look at two teams, Colorado State and Ole Miss, that are playing really good basketball. Let's get started. Let's go back a little bit to the trade that took place between the Knicks and the Raptors, a trade that sent OG Ananobi, Precious Achua, Malachi Flynn to New York in exchange for R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and a 2024 second-round pick, which I do believe is Detroit, so it actually holds a lot of value because it's going to be at the top of the second round. And when you look at this trade, let's go to New York side of it, okay? I had been saying for a long time that a 3-and-D guy was absolutely needed in New York. People were talking about, you got to go get Dame. You got to get before in the summer. You got to go get Donovan Mitchell. You got to go get Carl Anthony Towns. And I never thought that, folks. I, I thought with the Knicks... They needed a 3-and-D guy. Why is that, folks? Because they weren't strong defensively, and Tibbs prides himself on defense. So who would the Knicks go get at the center of the trade? OG Ananobi. And OG Ananobi is the perfect fit for Tibbs. I'm going to give people this. When you think about Tibbs and you think about his teams in Chicago, you know who OG Ananobi is? A more athletic Lowell Dang. A 3-and-D guy that does a lot of things well in regards to moving without the ball, good corner three-point shooter, and obviously he does some things on the defensive end where I think he is one of the best defenders in the league. So defensively, you now have your linchpin guy, right? But And Tips is guy that is perfect. You've heard Tips repeatedly talk about how well this guy fits into the culture. But it's other players. It's these two guys coming off, one coming off the bench and one pressing the starting lineup. And that's Isaiah Hartenstein, who's been really, really good 
folks, I think he's like third or fourth in the NBA in offensive rebounding since the loss of Mitchell Robinson. And let's be honest, you could argue that the Knicks could be better with Isaiah Hartenstein at the center position. But it's also the play of Quentin Grimes. Now that Emmanuel quickly is gone, he's starting to get more playing time. He's had really a great game, uh, Quentin Grimes, two games ago, a 19.8 rebound performance and a blowout win and probably the state win for the New York Knicks when they won 128-92 at Philadelphia. So OG has been tremendous, right? I talked about Hartenstein, and I, and I obviously talked about Quentin Grimes. But to me, what has happened is they change offensively as well, folks. And it's been the play of the two superstars. First off, Julius Randle. I've been on Julius a little bit on this network. He got off to a slow start. Yes, folks, it had to do with the ankle surgery. But you got to look at the last four games for Julius Randle, six to trade. 39-35. I know the eight-point performance when he was awful against Philadelphia. But he still had seven rebounds, five assists, and then a 39-point performance against Washington. So Julius has become better. And what's really good, folks, about Julius Randle is if you look at his splits between last year and this year, he's actually shooting the ball less from three. If you look at it, last year uh, he averaged, uh, I think, 8.3 attempts from three. It's down to 5.1. So although he's shooting the ball worse from three, it's less attempts. He's now bully balling and getting to the basket. And then what else can I say about this guy? Jalen Brunson. I know Becky Hammond. He ain't a 1A or whatever. 1As can't win a championship. I will beg to differ. Four games so far since the trade. 16-14, and 31-13, the outlier with the assist, and 33 points and eight assists. So now you have Randall and Brunson really carrying the load offensively and now with guys like OG and Anobi, and one other player that needs to be mentioned really a lot is the play of Dante DiVincenzo. Dante, last four games, have been in double figures. The game before that, the trade, it was a 38-point performance that he had against Indiana. But the key with Dante DiVincenzo is a career 37.2% shooter is shooting 44.2% from three. That's one of the best shooting percentages for the New York Knicks. I do believe since Steve Novak played for the Knicks uh, back in the discount double-check days uh, when he played with Carmelo and Omari, so on and so forth. So Dante has been really, really good. And this is the team, folks, in the New York Knicks that has one of the easiest schedules the rest of the way. If you look at a, a, a site like Tankathon, the Knicks have right now the 20th easiest schedule the rest of the way. Folks, there are two and a half games behind Philadelphia. Philadelphia's starting to slip a little bit. I don't think the Knicks get the three, but they should be a top six team in the Eastern Conference. And now with a stopper on the wing, and OG Ananobi, who can guard one through four, the New York Knicks, folks, will make another trade. Look out for Malcolm Brogdon. I think that would be the perfect fit for the bench. The Knicks, I think, are one really good scoring bench piece guard away from being a team that you don't want to see in the playoffs. Let's go to the other side of the trade, and let's look at Toronto. And first off, oh, my goodness, he is so happy to be home. And that's the Maple Mamba. 
You don't know who the Maple Mamba is? Well, his name is R.J. Barrett. Did you see what R.J. Barrett did a couple of nights ago? In his first game, uh, one of his top performances, actually last night, that 37.6 rebound, six assists game that he had versus Golden State, four, all four games that he's been in, he's gotten the double figures, he's played well, he shot the ball from three at 50% in all four games. I should say three out of four games, one game shot at 40%. But this is a guy that was shooting 35.6% from three at all four games. He is shooting it at 40 plus. So that's been good. And the rebounding numbers of Barrett is something that I like with six plus rebounds also in three out of the four games. Let's start, go to IQ, Emmanuel Quickly, who wanted more playing time and more uh, a chance to showcase his talent. Folks, he's settling in. Now, he didn't shoot the ball great from three in the last night's game, but how about IQ with back to back games of eight or more assists? 10 last night, Friday in that 135-130 loss at Sacramento. So IQ is starting to play better. But think about this, folks. They have IQ, right? They got Barrett. They got Scotty Barnes, who's been absolutely fantastic. You're stepping up his game, getting you 20.5 points per game, 8.8 rebounds, 5.3 assists. This guy is top 50 in all three categories, right? So you look at him, and he was you know, not even good last night, but it didn't matter because RJ carried him. So you got those three pieces, right? You got Jakob Pertle. So what do you do? Folks, it's time. It's time that they trade Pascal Siakam. And I've been a big fan of Pascal Siakam, and Pascal's had himself a tremendous year, folks. He does it every year. He's getting you over 22 points per game, right? He's giving you five assists, six and a half rebounds, 16, six and six last night. You know, he's shooting the ball. He's got to shoot it better from three at 29.7%. But Pascal is in that point forward conversation, an underrated defensive player who should garner a lot of interest. So I started to think as I was getting ready to do this podcast is if I am a team, what would I want Pascal Siakam? And, it, and it, the answer is unequivocally, yes, if there's a need. So now you start thinking, well, you're not going to trade him in the East. So let's let's ship him out to the West. Remember, folks, Pascal Siakam is also an unrestricted free agent. So because he doesn't have a lot of time left, you know, it could kind of dictate where he goes or what teams have to give up in regards to the fact that it may not have to be a lot of draft capital. So I came up with two teams where I thought he could go to. Number one, how about we send him to the Sacramento Kings? Sacramento Kings give up Harrison Barnes, Kevin Huerter, Davion Mitchell, and one first-round draft pick. And if you think about a guy like Siakam, you slide him into that lineup with De'Aaron Fox, right, with Keegan Murray, with Sabonis, right, and then you can take someone like Malik Monk and slide him into the starting lineup and give a good three in the guy who should get more minutes, a guy like Chris Duarte more minutes. On the flip side here, a team like Toronto will get Harrison Barnes, who is a veteran, which will kind of lead that maybe that second unit. Kevin Fuerta, who also can go to the bench, and a backup guard in Davion Mitchell. So now you address some of your depth, right? So now you could say that Mitchell and Fuerta can become your backups, right, behind Barrett and quickly. Harrison Barnes can go into that starting lineup uh, for Siakam. And so you have Scotty Barnes in the front court with Jakob Pertle 
and it gives them uh, uh, also uh, an element of if it doesn't work, you can also Huerter and Mitchell and Barnes in about a year, their contracts are going to be desirable to be moved so they could also be flipped for something else in the future. So that was team number one. Team number two, how about Dallas? Now, we've we've talked on this podcast about the play of Luka and Kyrie being fantastic. And we've talked about the play of Tim Hardaway Jr. But we haven't gotten much else out of a lot of these other guys. So here's the trade. Pascal Siakam goes to Dallas for Grant Williams, who now can be traded and has been a disappointment so far in his first year. Richard Holmes, who also, you know, is a, was acquired in a trade now with Sacramento. And Maxi Kleber in a 2026 first-round protected draft pick for Pascal Siakam. So now you can slide Siakam into that starting lineup with Luka and, and Kyrie. Right, Derek Lively at the center position. And this is a person like with, with Siakam who can play with the ball in, hand, in his hands. And now you got shooters in Kyrie and Luka where now this guy can punch the gap. You put Derek Lively in the dunk spot, and now you have the ability to really make things work. So I do think those are two intriguing places where Siakam can go. Listen, you're going to hear the Lakers. You're going to hear all this other stuff. But I'm looking at teams that have somewhat assets they can give up and the teams are wanted. Maybe you could do something if you want to talk about the Lakers where it's Siakam and you're packaging around Rui Hachimura and D'Angelo Russell. The problem is, folks, is do either one of them have any kind of value in the trade market? I think not. So keep a lookout on Sacramento and Dallas. I think there will be two fantastic places for Pascal Siakam to go to, and I think they get enough back in return in Toronto. Let's stay in the Atlantic Division and with the Brooklyn Nets. A Brooklyn Nets team, folks, that got off to a really good start, but, folks, at the bottom has dropped out losers of six of their last seven games, including an overtime loss to Portland and obviously a 110-104 loss last week to Washington. If you and if you look at the schedule for the Nets coming up, folks, they got to go Thursday to Cleveland or home for Cleveland. It's going to be tricky. That, that that could be a loss, right? Then they got Miami MLK Day at Portland. Should be able to get back. Then they got the LA LA. Then New York, Houston. I'm sorry, New York, Minnesota, Houston. That's a tough stretch for a team that's not playing particularly well. And why is that? Well, number one, the play of Mikel Bridges has not been what we have seen from when he got traded to Brooklyn. Got to remember, folks, Mikel Bridges right now is giving you uh, a little over 20 points per game, uh, you know, getting you five and a half rebounds, 3.7 assists, 44.8% from the field, 34.5% from three. But I want you to understand, folks, Last year, last year, when he got traded to Nets, 26.1 points per game, 38% from three, 48% from the line, rebounding about the same assists a little bit better this year. So Bridges has not taken that step. Remember, folks, Bridges was up there talked about as one of the most improved players in the NBA coming into the season. 
if you look at his odds, he's, he's fallen absolutely off the map. And I think Mikel Bridges is a fantastic talent. This is not a knock on Bridges, okay? I, I love Mikel Bridges. I love him from his days at Villanova. Everybody knows how much I love Villanova, even though I trash him all the time because they don't play well. Uh, so there has been uh, a concern with me about the play of Bridges. Next, let's, let's look at Cam Thomas, a.k.a. the walking bucket. And we know that Camp Thomas can absolutely score the ball. But have you noticed, folks, as the year has gone on, his points per game has dropped. 33 points per game in his first three games of the season in October. 23.7 in November. Remember, he was hurt for some of November. 15 games in December, 19.7. Four games in the month of January, eight points per game. And what has happened is the three-point shooting is dropping, his shooting percentage is dropping, and it's got to a point where he, this guy shot 61.4% from the floor at the beginning of the year, first three games. Now he's at 24.4% in four games in January. What happened, folks? He's on a scouting report. And people know that Cam can score. They're crowding his space, and he's not allowed to get those free reign, those looks, and they're loading up on him defensively. So Cam Thomas, although he could score, is starting to show why he was, you know, he can score, but he's not getting the production or the efficiency that he has, particularly in this month as they've lost. Now, if you look at a guy like Cam Johnson, a guy that I was also a big fan of out in, when he played out in Phoenix, you know, he's been up and down, folks. He's missed time during the year, but even his splits you know, are been a little bit consistent. He's been about 15 points per game. I always thought that Cam Johnson with this team could be a 20-point-a-game scorer. So you look at that. You look at Dimwitty, good pro, not a great pro, but a good score. You know, Nick Claxton, good center, not a great center. So when you start looking at this team in Brooklyn, well, what, where, do they, where do they go next, right? What do you, look at the depth. Look at this team. Okay, so let's get it out of the way here, all right? They need to upgrade a point guard. I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a fantastic player. He's had a fantastic career. Um, but I think Spencer Dinwiddie is really good as a backup guard leading the second unit, a guy that can score and give you a little bit of everything, right? And I think the better play is you got to figure out what you want to do with Finney Smith and Royce O'Neal. I think one of them should be moved. They can give you some kind of uh, maybe something back in return. And I think the best thing for them to do is put Bridges at the three Cam Johnson at the four, and then go get a two. So what I'm saying, folks, is this. Brooklyn needs to get a new backcourt, a starting backcourt, and kind of reshuffle their lineup a, a, a little bit better. I think that's something that could be good. Cam Thomas can come off the bench, Jaron Sharp, so on and so forth. But to me, I think it is the backcourt's got to get addressed. And you got to get careful, folks. They gave Jock Vaughn a chance to coach his team. If this team starts sliding, maybe not this year, could Jacques Vaughn be in trouble, folks? It is a possibility. Speaking of in trouble, oh, my God, the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, I don't even know how to explain this because I took their team total win over for the year, and I got more – I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess my Detroit team total win over is, was a lot worse. But this ain't much better with Atlanta sitting at 14 and 21 and just not playing good basketball. If you look at, you know, since uh, their November 30th, so if you go from December 1st, right, the seventh second game in Milwaukee, right, they have won a grand total of six games, I do believe. 
five games, I should say, that they have won, right? And they're long 12, 13 games they've lost. And here's the reason, folks. It doesn't fit. It's, it's amazing, right? So first, Nate McMillan was a problem, right? Nate was a problem. They got rid of him, brought in Quinn Snyder. No offense, folks. What has Quinn Snyder done? Playoff time. What has Quinn Snyder done? I mean, yeah, Rudy Gobert and Donovan, Donovan Mitchell couldn't do anything with him. So now this guy gets run Nate McMillan. I'm going to say this right now, folks. Nate McMillan is a better coach, is a better coach than Quinn Snyder. Go look at their track record. Go look at their performances in the playoffs. Go look what he's done for a long time. Nate McMillan was a scapegoat of that team, and he's a damn better coach than Quinn Snyder. So now let's move on, right? So now they got rid of Quinn Snyder. Oh, who was next? John Collins. Ship him out. He's a problem, right? So now they get rid of John Collins. So now you're looking at this team and saying, what in God's green earth is going wrong with a team with a backcourt of Trey Young and DeJounte Murray? Trey Young is still giving you 27.8 points per game and 11 assists, right? Trey's been doing it, right? I mean, he's shooting it, you know, this year, 36.5% from three. You know, better than his career average. 43.2% from the floor. At his career average, 11 assists per game over his career average. Still turns the ball over way too much, but Trey is Trey, and this is what you're going to get. And then you have the backcourt man, DeJounte Murray, right, who's giving you 20.9, 4.6, and 5, right? A DeJounte Murray who can give you, like, scintillating performances, like his, his 30-point game that he had, well, it was a 150, 116 loss. So, I mean, can we really call it a scintillating performance, folks? How about a 32.6 rebound, three assist game versus at Washington? Well, it's Washington, so it's a really that great of performance. So when you look at DeJounte Murray, a guy that I think is so ridiculously talented, I think he's being misused in Atlanta. He needs the ball in his hands more. So that's my first point. Number one, one of them's got to go. I don't think both. I think one's got to go. They're both point guards, folks. Different kind of point guards, but one's got to go. And there's been rumors that obviously DeJounte Murray is the guy because, let's be honest, folks, Trey Young is the face of the franchise, and whatever he wants, he gets. I I think part of the reason why Nate McMillan got moved is obviously we know that there were problems between Nate and Trey last year. So that is probably a reason why Nate is gone. So to me, that gets moved, right? Now let's go to the front court. We have Bogdanovich coming off the bench, 17.7. Jalen Johnson giving you 15.1. DeAndre Hunter, 14.9. Sadiq Bay, 12.7. Like, you, folks, these guys can play a Kongwu, Capella. Like, folks, these aren't scrubs. Like, these aren't bad basketball players. It's like, you know, like you have a kid and, and, and they have the, the wooden the, the wooden toy and they got the hammer and they got all the different shapes and he, he, your kid's trying to take that circle and he's trying to bang it into the square hole. That's the Hawks. You're, you're trying to bang a circle into a, a square hole. It ain't working. The, the roster is so flawed, right? If you consider that with this team, you got two point guards, right? You got two power forwards and a center. And then you back up with, a guy that probably could start in Bogdanovich, right? Who has started in the past. Sidney Bay, who's pretty good in Okwangu. So 
Then you got guys like Wesley Matthews. Like, guys, folks, this isn't a bad team. They just play bad. Look at their track record for the last couple of years, folks, and we can pull that out. Right? 14-21, 12th. I mean, they, if you look at them, they think about this, folks. They went 43-39, and 39, right, and 21-22, right? How about 41-31? That was the year, folks. Remember, they beat the Knicks, right? They go to Philadelphia. They beat Philadelphia in Game 7. And I will say this, folks. If Trey Young doesn't get hurt, they beat Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals. Trey was balling, folks. Oh, by the way, that coach was Nate McMillan. Just want to let you guys know that, right? You know, Nate came, Nate came coach. So they've kind of gone backwards, 43 and 39, 21, 22, 41 and 41. And then obviously they're in 12th place right now. So here's the other thing. I think you build this roster around Trey Young. I think you build it around Jalen Johnson. I think you uh, put Okongu as the center. Everybody else can get the step in. Sadiq Bey, move him. I think he's a free agent this year anyway. DeAndre Hunter, got the bag, love DeAndre. I think he's kind of going to be like an OJ Ananobi where he goes somewhere else and his game will actually take off and be better. Right? How about how about a, how about a DeAndre Hunter to like a, a place like Indiana who can use a, like a like that that three and D three four guy? Uh, that would be a nice little thing with DeAndre Hunter going to Indiana just to put it out there. Capella, it's been there a long time. Move him. And Dejounte Murray and Trey Young, it just doesn't work. So unless you're going to put Bogdanovich in the starting lineup and you trade Dejounte Murray, you need a sniper at the two guard that can space the floor for Trey and give him driving lanes and knockdown shots because you can get that. With Bogdanovich, you can get that with Jalen Johnson. You can get that with a two-guard. So, to me, Atlanta now needs to move on from some of their, their heavy rotational guys because it's not working. Because let's be, let's be honest, honestly, you fired the coach, you traded the Enigma, so who is it now? Like, who's the fall guy? It ain't going to be Landry Fields. Yet, the next thing you do is you blow up the roster and you start over. Let's end the podcast talking about college basketball and two teams that have played relatively well to start the season. Let's talk about maybe the best team in Colorado. And yes, folks, I am talking about the Rams of Colorado State, who's been off to a really, really, really good year. Only one loss. I do believe they're 13-1, and one, if I'm not mistaken, is Colorado State. Um, ranked in the top 25, 13-2, I should say. Uh, ranked number 17 currently in the AP poll. And they, they've had some, you know, they did lose to Utah State. And, folks, losing at Utah State by five is, not, is nothing to be ashamed about. Going to Utah State is, is a very difficult place to go play. And their other loss is to St. Mary's by three. But they got a, a win over Washington. They beat Colorado. They blew the Doors off of Creighton. So this team has been playing really, really well. And why do you ask? Folks, I have always become a big believer in college basketball. Of uh, Thinking of my days of scouting is when you have good guard play and you can shoot the ball and you have multiple guys that can shoot the ball really well, it's a problem. So when you look at Colorado State, you, you got to start with Isaiah Stevens. Playing absolutely fantastic ball. Fifth-year guy, folks. Remember, here's the thing. I want people to understand this. 
This year, it's going to be the last year you're going to get what's called the COVID year. Okay, so just so people can understand it for me for a second. Because they ended the 2021 season because of COVID, every college basketball player that was in college at that point, right, all got an extra year. So all the kids now that are seniors or junior, or they're, they're seniors this year, original seniors, like their first year college basketball was 2021. They all are going to get a fifth year. So you're going to see this trend for one more year, folks, before this passes by. But a guy like Isaiah Stevens has been very consistent over his career, giving you 17.6 points per game, 46.6% from three, career high, 53.1% from the field, career high, 7.4 assists, career high. So this is a great kid who's done a great job at Colorado State. Well, well, well let's move on. Let's move on to Patrick Cartier. Oh, I like that name, Cartier. Ain't Carter. There's an E. There's an I after that, that T. Cartier. And my man is doing a little bit of work himself at 13.6 points per game. Folks, another one, 48.6% from three, 61.2% from the floor. So then he's knocking down shots, right? And then you got to go uh, to a kid like uh, Nick Clifford, right? Senior. 13.4 points per game, 51.3% from three, 60% from the floor. Folks, they knock down shots. And if you can knock down shots and not have one, not one, not two, but three, your top three scores all score hitting from over 46% from three, you're going to give yourself a shot to win. And I didn't even get to the last piece of the puzzle, and that's Joel Scott. Guess what? Senior. Giving you 11.7 points per game. Not shooting well from three. We don't, we don't want to put his three-point shooting percentages up. But the junkyard dog is playing really, really well for Colorado State. So Colorado State, who has had a remarkable season so far, top 20 in the country, 17th. They may move down a couple of spots with their loss to Utah State when the rankings, I think, come out tomorrow morning. I think they may have just come out, actually, uh, today. But still at 13-2, interesting stretch. Big game they have at, at, at Boise State tomorrow night. Uh, they got to make sure they they keep going there. Uh, they are 13-2, fifth in the Mountain West Conference with their one loss to Utah State, like I said, at Utah State. Remember, folks, Utah State uh, does have to come to them on February 17th. Let's move on to the SEC. And another impressive showing by guys, listen, forget the, I don't want to get into the off-court stuff, right? That's, that's not what I'm about. I, you know, I'm not saying I don't care about it, but that's not what this podcast is about. Folks, Chris Beer could coach his ass off. Chris Beer could recruit his ass off. And look what he did at Texas Tech, folks. Take him to the national championship game, right? Look what he did at Texas let me tell you something, folks. I love I love Rodney Terry. I love Rodney Terry. I love what Rodney Terry is doing um, over there. But let's be honest, folks. Whose kids were those last year? Whose kids were those last year? Chris Beard's kids. And that's part of the reason why they did so well. And Chris Beard goes over to the Southeastern Conference one of the most loaded leagues in, in, in America, and he's got them at 13-1. and one. 
And maybe people thought, you know, hey, well, you know, this guy got an opportunity so quick. Folks, this is the same university that hired Lane Kevin. How'd that turn out for him? Lane's got him as a top 10, top 15 college football team in the country. And Chris Beard's doing the same thing. I know, I know, I know they got smoked by Tennessee. But they've played some good basketball. And, and, and look at this, folks. They are right now sitting at 13-1. They have home Florida, home Vanderbilt at LSU. By the time they get to next Saturday, that matchup at Auburn, they could be sitting at 16-1. Think about what Chris Beard has done. And why, folks? Look at this talent he's got, man. Like, look, look, look what he's got. Matthew Morrell getting you 16.4 points per game. Oh, he's a senior. Got a little bit of experience, right? Matt shooting the ball at 38.6%, tied for his career high. 46.8% from the floor, career high, right? A guy that can really score and score in bunches, right? And then you go ahead and you go look at uh, – and Alan Flanagan. Oh, guess what? He's a senior. 16.2 points per game. Hey, folks. COVID year. Fifth year guy. Right? 39.6, it's 39.1% from three. Career high. 42.5. Uh, it's off its career high. Right? 7.3 rebounds. Career high. Assists. Career high. Right? So here's another guy playing really good basketball. Right? And then you look at oh, like a Jalen Murray, junior, 14.4 points per game. Shooting at 45.6% from three. He's a sniper. So, and then you look at, uh, you know, lastly, a, a kid like uh, a Jamian Baker, a uh, Brakefield, right? Senior. 11.6 points per game. Shooting 39% from three. Career high, right? 5.7 assists, uh, rebounds per game. Career high. So, when you look at it, folks, you get Chris Beard, a team of dogs. He can recruit as good or better than anybody in the country. And he's got this team as 13-1. I dare say by next Saturday, they should be 16-1 going to Auburn. Think about this, folks, in the SEC. The game of the day next Saturday, one of the games of the day, is going to be Ole Miss and Auburn, two teams that were disrespected preseason to win the SEC and both teams. They're in the hunt to win the SEC regular season title. This has been your podcast for January 8th. For all information, download that sports grid app, Google Play Store, iOS, Android Store. What do you need, folks? Props, we got you. Predictions, we got you. In-game, pre-game, post-game, from the best of the business. And by the way, folks, my college basketball scouting reports always only on a sports grid app. Make sure you download it. Next podcast we'll get into is tomorrow. And we'll take a look. They can win tomorrow night against Georgetown. Shaheen Holloway and Ryan Whalen, my boys from Jersey, got Seton Hall humming. They win at Georgetown. Folks, fellas, I'm bringing you up. That's been the podcast for today, January 8th. It's been a pleasure as always to give you my take on all things basketball. It's smarter beyond sports grid. Good night, folks. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, 
<laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.